Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome to Administrative Static. This is John Vecchione, and our announcer for once was wrong because Mark Chenoweth is not with me. Um, He's out, but I am very happy to have Janine Eunice here with me, uh, our colleague at New Civil Liberties Alliance, to discuss the case of Missouri v. Biden, where we represent uh, individual clients who were thrown off of various social media at the behest of the government. Um, and are certainly through the behest of the government's policies inflicted upon these social media sites. And uh, you've probably seen it in the news besides just this podcast, but we are um, in discovery for preliminary injunction and things are moving fast and furious, not only there, but also on the fact that uh, Elon Musk has taken over Twitter and, um, you know, the the telephone calls coming from inside the building now, as far as Twitter is concerned and the, and the people in the government know what they were doing. So Janine, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you for having me back. Um, so lots going on in this case. Uh, what do you, maybe we discuss first, the government wants to get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the government filed a motion to dismiss uh, their arguing. One of their primary arguments is lack of standing that the plaintiffs haven't shown that they've been injured by the government's action and that any uh, sensible injury could be redressed by uh, government stopping what they've been doing. And, uh, and, but of course that would not mean that uh, they couldn't restart at any time. Yeah. And um, I, I do have, uh, you know, they, they've moved, they want to get out of this case. Yes. <laughs> and um one of the things that happened here was that uh, the Fifth Circuit asked the district court to say why um, he had allowed preliminary discovery in the preliminary injunction um, rather than wait have the motion dismiss uh, filed first. And what what judge yeah. uh, what what the judge said was, well, where is this motion to dismiss? Right, <laughs> this thing was filed in July or something yeah. like this. Um, so, uh, w- you know, what's happened? So they finally came and it's a big motion to dismiss. Yeah. And, um, uh, but the arguments there seem to be things we've seen before. It yeah. didn't look to me that there's anything greatly new. No. Um, and that's in part because we had a very similar case that was dismissed in May in the Southern District of Ohio and the government made uh, our very similar arguments in that case and was successful, uh, although we think they shouldn't be. That's Changizi, right? Yes, that's Changizi. That's, that's our case, just yeah. to be clear. And I, I think actually another really uh, important thing to note is that the government is arguing in the motion to dismiss that there's no proof of coercion. So I don't think at this point they can argue that there's no proof the companies and the government were working together to censor people because there's so much evidence of that. Um, Just massive amounts of evidence where the government is telling the tech companies you should be censoring this type of post or even this specific post or this specific person. Um, So now what they're trying to say is that absent evidence that the government was coercing them, basically forcing them to do this, that's not state action. And that means it's not there's no First Amendment claim. Uh, We think that's the wrong way of looking at the law because the government shouldn't be able to work with private actors to violate your constitutional rights. The government can't hire a private company to go search your home when they don't have enough evidence to get a warrant. 
So they shouldn't be able to hire a private company or work with a private company to suppress people for expressing viewpoints they don't like. Yes, and I, I agree with that, but I think it's a more nuanced discussion. I think I think that Judge Posner has said this in the Seventh Circuit, that they can't do this, uh, almost in the, in the same fact, uh, fact pattern. Um, but there are this other host, I, I was reading David French, who's now going to the New York Times from the dispatch, but he said that, look, the government does have First Amendment rights. Um, it is allowed to speak. That's yeah. why it has, you know, it has uh, Smokey the Bear and things like that. Yeah. You know, they're allowed to say, don't, don't create fire, forest fires and stuff like that. Um, so they have a First Amendment right. But I think that uh, one of the reasons the motion to dismiss is really bad here is that the issue of whether coercion, what, what happened here amounted to coercion strikes to me as a fact question. That's true. That's true. It is a fact. And that's another reason uh, that it's not, you know, appropriate for a motion to dismiss stage. But back to your other point, I mean, the government has First Amendment rights, but the government doesn't have a First Amendment right to try to get private companies to do something that's unlawful. So, I mean, that's different. And what they're what we're arguing is they're essentially um, encouraging, at least. I mean, I would say they're coercing. I think, again, there's enough evidence. But let's say um, let's say it's not unlawful for um well the one thing that really um i'm you know i'm like the last cold warrior so i'm uh, always surprised at certain things and one of them is we have a radio station here in um in washington dc that it's sputnik radio you know or, or yeah. i'm trying to think of it right now but it's russian back yeah. and, and it does uh things that are uh that the russian government would like to have on well um so if Vladimir Putin wants to give a big speech to the American people on that, and government calls up and says, "We don't think any broadcaster should be doing this." Um, if they don't call, if they just say that, is that coercion? Um, I don't think so, and I think it's a little different because, first of all, it's not it's not about viewpoint based censorship; it's about a foreign actor trying to sort of interfere with our and and it's. But I I, I was going into another point. There is yeah. the foreign actor, but. Yeah. but but they're not saying we're going to pull your license. Well, that's yes. Right. But here we do have the implication that there are uh, what are they going to do? They're going to do that. First of all, they're going to say people are dying. Right. Yes. And the COVID thing, the government's going to come and say people are dying because of what you did. Yeah. And what does that provide? That creates liability. Right. Right. If, right. if, if you are creating people to die. I, I was a plaintiff's attorney. I know there are <laughs> plenty of guys out there who would sue saying, look. You, you cause people to die. Yeah. Well, and they, I mean, the government has also not only said that, but said, and they will be held accountable. Right. So they've been pretty, ex I mean, uh, one would call that almost an explicit threat, yeah. not an implicit threat. Exactly. <laughs> it's not like, here's my advice. Yeah. And if you don't take it, well, let the chips fall where they may. It's, yeah. You will be held accountable. Well, yeah. that's consequences, yeah, right? Exactly. And, and we, there's also all this, all this stuff in there about how uh, the, the social media People dealing with the government sure seem to feel uh, put upon, at least. Yes, yes, and that's that's some of the latest stuff that actually came out, and I think the ninth or tenth edition of the Twitter files. <laughs> <laughs> and tell them if somebody's not as online as perhaps, um, uh, well, I'll just say you. Uh, it <laughs> is. What are the Twitter files? Uh, so the Twitter files are Elon Musk once he bought the company has been had. Um, 
promised to let the American public know about the inner workings of Twitter and what he considered to be uh, the censorship activities, why that was happening and what was going on behind the scenes. So he's been releasing it in stages through a few journalists, sort of First Amendment uh, oriented journalists like Matt Taibbi. As long as they first publish it on their Twitter Twitter feed, right? Exactly. They're all written in Twitter threads, which can honestly make it a little difficult to read. (laughs) It's true. And then afterwards, they publish it regularly. Their deal is that first they got to do it on Twitter. Um, and so you see these like long things of, yeah. and, and so it's Matt Taibbi and there's another fella. Barry Weiss, David Zweig, yeah. um, and Michael Schellenberger have been up for so far. I don't know Schellenberger. Who's he's, that? I, I'm, I, I hope I'm not misspeaking. Okay. I think he's a politician in California. He was, I think he ran for office in California, but I'm not a hundred percent. Okay. And what's his issue? Uh, like anti-COVID restrictions, libertarian platform. I got it. Um, so I think he ran against Newsom. You know, I got but... it. Yeah, I got it. So, so there, there we, um, so we have this, the, the Twitter files coming out, which I think also there's some resonance in our case, because if material yes. that was that came out there wasn't produced in discovery, that could be a problem. Exactly. Right? Well, and t- two of our clients, Jay Bhattacharya and Martin Kuldorf, were specifically uh, mentioned in the Twitter files. So they were, um, Bhattacharya especially was placed on a Twitter blacklist, which meant that his tweets were not seen, they were de-amplified. Um, and it said the the command, the internal Twitter command to put him on a blacklist said, do not amplify these tweets or uh, and then Kuldorf too had um, their internal communications about censoring him. Now, I mean, incidentally, Kuldorf is considered one of he's he's among the most incited vaccines uh, specialists and infectious disease experts in the world. And you have some guy at Twitter saying we're going to have to take action against Kuldorf because what he says about the vaccines doesn't line up with what the CDC says. I mean, that sort of shows the shocking. Exactly. <laughs> I got my I got my my Bachelor of Arts at Bryn Mawr. And I'm now going to get Kuldorf <laughs> yeah. off for, for not saying the right things about. And so- it shows that they don't understand that, you know, these there's a real debate around these questions. The things uh, that the thing Kuldorf had said was that uh, saying everyone needs the COVID vaccine is as unscientific as saying nobody does. Well, it should be children it, don't need it. It, <laughs> it reminds me a little of the people who go to campus debates and then stand up when they don't like something. Yeah. and say, This is not a debate. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, right now, uh, the evidence of their censorship doesn't involve the government. We don't have any evidence that the government specifically asked Twitter to uh, censor them but you know it's obviously and, and, yeah, right it's you, we don't we don't have but but the fact of the matter is they were doing this misinformation thing at the behest yes, of the, the cdc's exactly. talking to them every we day exactly we don't need direct proof that they were censored because Correct. of the government although i suspect based on some things that anthony fauci and francis collins have said that they that there may that such evidence may turn up well, well and see. not only that you, you know you, you don't have to have a written statement uh, in this sort of thing it you you can have circumstantial evidence so powerful that no other um uh uh scenario bears out right and f- for Koldorf and Bhattacharya I think it's really bearing out yeah. and none of that was produced in discovery no. was it it just <laughs> no. came out in the twitter files how curious exactly and I'm, another really interesting thing that came out I believe last week um was an internal Twitter document where an employee is summarizing a meeting with the White House and said the White House is very angry because we haven't been censoring people enough. Um, they're putting a lot of heat on us. So again, that's more evidence that you know they were ratcheting up censorship in response to the yeah. government. And um, I, sh- I think we should say we, we don't really handle the FBI part of this, but there's no. been an awful lot of talk about how the F- what the FBI has done. And Missouri and Louisiana are very interested in those topics as well. 
Um, it is, it is, uh, and the FBI is a defendant. Here, right, so. exactly. And so, but, 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 uh, I meant us, yeah, at yeah, NCLA, yeah. we yeah. tend to be for our clients, it's COVID yes, and, and back, yeah. vaccines and stuff like that. But I, but I do think that, um, we're going to hear more about this and we'll see what the judge does with the motion to dismiss. And we'll be right back with Jimmy. You know, um, one of the things that I just saw was that um, the Canadian Licensing Board was going to have Jordan Peterson uh, come before them for opposing the Trudeau administration. And I and I I thought to myself, well, that will never happen here. But then um, it is kind of happening here, whereas um, in California, the uh, California um, government has passed a law that allows the uh, licensing board for doctors to, um, to sanction and call people in for saying the wrong thing, not out anywhere, but to their patients. So they're intervening in the doctor-patient relationship to say that you cannot um, say certain things about COVID to various patients if it is not the uh, approved view so Janine, tell me about the case. What's it called and what's going on? And am I right with yeah, what I just said? Yeah, you, you got it. <laughs> so the, the language of the law says that doctors can be sanctioned for spreading misinformation to patients about COVID in the context of treatment. So if you're at a dinner party, you know, that, you know, with some of your patients, that doesn't count, but if you're treating them, but the uh, language that says treatment or advice, and that's very important because the state can regulate conduct. Uh, and the distinction here, I think, is that treatment is conduct and advice is clearly pure speech. So the case here is we have five doctors in the state of California. What's um, it called? Hogue v. Newsom. And um, where is it? It's in the Eastern District. So that's Sa Sacramento region. Um, uh, Dr. Hogue lives there. So all of our um, plaintiffs allege that their free speech rights are being violated by this law, that they can't speak freely to patients because they're afraid. Um, first of all, they don't know exactly what the law is supposed to prevent. So the, the misinformation is defined as information that departs from the scientific consensus contrary to the standard of care. Now we make the point that um, we don't know what the scientific consensus is on many of these matters. Uh, COVID, is, so COVID is very new. And I don't, I don't think we wanna take the position that there can never be a scientific consensus. Because you know, we, I think we can agree. That yeah, if, if they say the if they if they say that you got yeah. that you got COVID because your humors are out of balance, <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe you need a trip to the um, the medical board. But but many of the and I and I think when a, you know it's clear from the law's language. In fact, it cites low vaccination rates and doctors spreading misinformation about the vaccines. One of our doctors' uh, specific fears is that they uh, some of them have said that they would want to tell some of their younger patients especially those who've had COVID, that uh, their risk of myocarditis is higher than any risk they face from COVID, uh, from, sorry, myocarditis from the vaccine. So essentially they would be advising some of the younger patients and, not to get the and vaccine. And for instance, if these doctors believe, I, I believe in, in 
European Union, certainly, uh, I forget which one it was, but one is particularly high for this myocarditis. Yeah. And they have said, don't give. I think it's Denmark. Yeah. Uh, Denmark or no, but Norway? What, but oh. which vaccine? It's There's oh. one particularly higher. Oh, but... it's probably the Pfizer or Moderna. No, Maybe Moderna. Moderna. It's Moderna. Yeah. So the thing is, they've said, don't give it to yeah. young men 18 to 25 yeah. or younger. Yeah. And um, that has, uh, and then they've given their reasons for it and they've yeah. decided to say it. Now, do I know? I have no idea. But if your doctor has looked at this and he's the guy, he, what, should he not say that? Yeah. And then what happens if, if you're 18 years old and you take it, you get myocarditis <laughs> and you never said anything that you shouldn't do it? Exactly. Um, and I, one of the, so, and one of the points we're making too is even if this law is never used or never used against people like our doctors, they don't know that. So it creates what's known as a chilling effect in First Amendment law, um, where they're afraid to say it because they don't know if they might be, uh, you know, caught up in this. And it, it's also important to note that they've been explicitly threatened on social media, four of the five plaintiffs, um, by doctors who brought the bill, <laughs> uh, saying things like, we can't wait till AB 2098 becomes law so that we can get your licenses taken away, for saying things like, not not all young men should get the vaccine, especially if they've had COVID. Right. Like and, and, so, and, and we've seen, I think, uh, in this, in this, just this free speech area, is that uh, when you cross the the folks on the other side of you know the people who thinks everyone should wear a mask and everyone should be vaccinated twenty seven times every month, um, that they're just very angry. Yes. And so they, who knows what they'll do? And and I suppose, I suppose to be fair, um, there are there are folks on the other side who are like, uh, oh, the vaccines have Bill Gates put. Yeah. put machines in the vaccines and they can't be dissuaded either. Yeah. So, but they're not going to control the medical no. boards. No, exactly. And what, I mean, one thing we argue is that the California uh, law disciplinary code already prevents doctors from doing things, you know, uh, committing malpractice basically, or, or doing the sort of things that the humors really, like yeah, I exactly, say, right? exactly. So this it's, it's my opinion uh, based on sort of both the language of the statute itself and the legislative history and, uh, you know, these other doctors, the, the the purpose is really to silence dissenters when it comes to COVID and people who have very legitimate views um, backed up by, you know, studies themselves, just not the ones that the CDC chooses to cite. You know, I have a um, a uh, book because I had I represented um, in a past life um, somebody who uh, disagreed with the, well, do quote, scientific consensus on um global warming. And um, she was very big climate scientist and had a lot of background and things like this. But I wanted to show the court what had happened inside. Like we have this view that it's so dispassionate and everybody leaves their feelings at the door and stuff. And um, I have this book, which is, is 10 scientific controversies. And one of them that always amuses me is because we think of these guys as, as, um, almost like Spock, right? Yeah. No, no feelings, yeah. no anything. Yeah. And, um, well, these two guys who had different views of how dinosaurs came about started stealing each other's dinosaur uh, bones. And then they started like blowing up areas where there were dinosaurs with dynamite because they didn't want this guy to get the sample and have prove his view and not view. So uh, that's an extreme example, but it is this weaponizing of disagreement yeah. in the scientific community cannot be good. Yes, I, I agree with that. And uh you know, this is one of the other points we make. I mean, in the context of COVID, 
so-called consensus is changing every day. So a year ago, if you said the vaccines don't stop transmission or you could still get COVID if you got the vaccines, that was considered misinformation. Now everybody agrees that that's actually true. The vaccines don't stop infection. They seem to reduce the severity of symptoms, although not necessarily the latest boosters. <laughs> so, But what I find interesting about that is not only if it's true or not, they there are some people, I think there's probably people on the California Medical Board who wouldn't want you saying that because it would create um, a tendency for people not to get vaccinated, yeah. even true information. And what we've seen, I think, in the in the um, social media area with what the government did is they didn't want true information right. coming out right. because it would cause vaccine hesitancy right. um, or they thought it would cause vaccine right. hesitancy. And the, the doctor-patient relationship is supposed to be about individualized treatment, not blanket recommendations. Um, Right. And I, I do. And and the, um, the absolute fear that someone's going to say something you disagree with uh, and then so you're going to punish them is is coming into all areas with this yeah. uh, with with this. And both these both these cases we've just discussed, yeah. the, the social media case and this one are based on fear that you're going to say the wrong thing and we're going to punish you. For right. It. And I, that's why I think these cases are really important. And even though there's their legal theories are somewhat different, they're similar in the respect that you um, just identified. They're important because I think you, we, otherwise we're going to see a weaponization of um, these kinds of laws or policies in order to silence political dissent. And that's very dangerous. Yeah. That's sort of why we have a First Amendment. Well, not only that, I, um, I, uh, <laughs> I, it isn't anything like the Soviet Union, but what, I, what is a, a fact, something that happens in all totalitarian governments is they weaponize science. To say that if you disagree with mm -hmm. them, you're insane and yeah. you've got to go into the insane asylum or yeah. all this. And um, there's a little whiff of that here oh, yeah. in that once you've disagreed with, uh, you know, the world's foremost authority, you you don't get to talk. Yeah. And, and then we're going to take away your license to do uh, to, to practice medicine and do your livelihood. And yeah. you're going to and we're going to deny your patients access to you basically by doing that. Yeah. I mean, it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And so one argument the state is making, I think it's sort of important to cover this point, is that the state can regulate conduct of a doctor. Um, and they've drawn an analogy to these gay conversion therapy cases where the courts have said that states can enact statutes saying uh, licensed mental health providers can't uh, do gay conversion therapy on minors, only minors. Um, and they've said that's not speech because the speech is the treatment, basically. It's con that's conduct, that's treatment. But here the statute says treatment or advice. So it's clear that they're drawing a difference. And the gay conversion cases even said that the counselor can recommend um, that, the, that the child go get gay conversion therapy elsewhere at church, for instance, right. or after he's 18. Um, so they've even, because those are recommendations and those are protected speech. So, so that's, and what we have here is much more analogous to that, in my opinion. And I, I do think that, um, and, and the state can regulate medicine, you know, this, but when they start, and, and it's one thing to say, you got to have clean instruments, you know, before you operate, <laughs> um, you, 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 if, if something, uh, you know, you can't, you can't rely on, although you do, one, one thing that always amazes me about these cases is that completely unproven um, treatments are allowed, right? You, you, Medicare and Medicaid will pay for things like acupuncture, which a lot of people like, but does not have um, scientific double-blind tests yeah. about them, right? Um, and that's okay. But here you have a bunch of scientific articles 
that have been double-blind studies or at least um, uh, uh, studies of some kind that yeah. have that have scientific validity behind you, yeah. and you could be stopped. And you you made the important point: the government won't say what they will prevent. Yeah, they won't say, "Okay, we will do this, but not that." And so nobody reading this statute and seeing this board knows how to direct their conduct, which exactly. is another thing. Can't have vague rules. That's, that's the other argument we're raising. And that's a 14th Amendment due process issue. Uh, it's void. It's called void for vagueness doctrine, because if you don't know what the law is, you don't know if you're breaking it. And that, again, creates a chilling effect. So the chilling effect applies to both uh, claims. Yeah. And um, well, we'll watch this case. I um, hope the hearing goes well. It'll be in like 10 days. On January 23rd in Sacramento. All right. And um, I um, think that uh, we should we should do okay. Uh, I do think doctors of California should not be for this and should have fought against it, but we'll see what happens. We'll be right back. <laughs>